0: Hey yo, welcome to Beyond the Mat Where it's all about the things and stuff It's like this and like that Sitting in the lotus seat We breathe deep from our heads to our feet Till we feel inner heat A little bit of rhythm for your soul Stretching out your minds from your head to your toes We in our flow state, we don't know no hate We end up feeling great though, so we correlate Coil snake gonna rise sunshine We take our time to appreciate divine grace It takes place in a pace in the inner states From a country road down to the interstate, we contemplate this, we here to make this, we here to break this, but we never fake this, we never hate kids, we in the love vibe, me and my whole tribe, we gonna try to be fly with the sunshine. Hello, all my Beyonders out there in the world. We have another epic episode, but first, let's get down to business. The show is brought to you by the colors green, purple, yellow, and orange. And of course, my 2018 art collection that can be found by simply visiting jcoleyoga.ca, scrolling to the bottom of the page and clicking on the link. Why would you even do that? Well, maybe you're just as crazy as I am and you like trippy looking artwork that makes you think deep thoughts and have your mind explode into a multi-dimensional spasm, or maybe you just wanna help sponsor the show, with your purchase. So, that said, sponsoring the show. You can also head over to patreon.com slash beyond the mat, and then by donating any amount for each dollar You also get entered into a raffle for a piece of art of your choosing, mailed to you at no cost. Zero. Zilch. Nada. So you can donate anywhere from $1 to $10, I think that's how it's set up, and that gives you entries into the raffle draw. Once the pot has reached a certain amount, the draw will happen, and someone will win. That's right. Win. For free. And you'll be able to enjoy the art in your own home, on your own wall. And other friends will come visit and they'll say wow that art man giving me mind spasms in a 5d reality where did you get it and then you'll explain how it was won on a podcast because this is the podcast that likes to give a little something something back to the bands for their support and what better way than with a raffle draw that's it no more business today's guest is part of this little flow state series I'm doing Ekaterina Alexenko is a lady from Russia living in San Francisco, USA. I found this lady through the Flow Genome Project when I reached out looking for some Flow State guests. So she is a licensed skydiver with over 300 jumps. A yoga instructor. She has been ice skating, dancing, drawing. She's done circus aerial arts like tightwire and trampoline. We even spiral outward and get into some chats about hitchhiking and making jewelry. All of this ties in, of course, and relates back to flow states. So, here we go. A nice, loud round of noise, hand claps, applause, screams, and shouts. Put some rocks in a can and shake it, I don't care, for this lovely lady, Ekaterina Alexenko. So, welcome, Ekaterina, to the show, Beyond the Mat, where we talk about all the things that happen off of the yoga mat, and sometimes on the yoga mat, but not too often. We don't want to, we don't want to get, like, pigeonholed into one, just one thing, so that's why I like Beyond the Mat, because it's kind of like everything else, you know?
1: I love it, I love it. The life happens off the mat, mostly, mostly, so,
0: yeah. (laughs) Mostly, yeah. So, um... Yeah, this is a part of a little series of recordings I've done this week on flow states because I had reached out to the Flow Genome Project explaining about my podcast and then a bunch of people responded and were like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to do this. So that's how I met you. And yeah, I'm just kind of looking at my notes here. So you're, uh, you said you're a yogi. Are you a yoga instructor or you're like a yoga doer?
1: I am a certified yoga teacher, Woo! but obviously I'm also exploring other options for practicing yoga. So it's not just about you know, what, what you think when you usually think about yoga, but also different kinds of yoga. And that's how I started learning about it, mm-hmm. started with Raja yoga. So I'm a practitioner and a teacher and a learner.
0: With Raja Yoga, maybe explain what that is to everybody.
1: Raja Yoga is not a physical type of yoga. It's it's a different uh, sort of different goal of it, and we study yoga as as a way to work on ourselves rather than our bodies. Okay. And it it's not something that you can just to a studio and learn, right? It's something you do, you experience, it's it's obviously practiced in different ways. I first learned about it in Russia, which is where I'm originally from, and it was very different. It was very different, and it, it really opened my eyes on different ways of being, doing, thinking, experiencing things.
0: Right so yeah like when you look at the definition of yoga it means like to yoke which is like basically like to to unite isn't it i'm pretty sure i hope i'm not messing that up because <laughs> i'm also a certified yoga teacher i better not mess that up uh to yoke meaning <laughs>
1: yeah. yes usually that's what they say right union of the mind and body or soul and mind Right. There's different definitions and nobody really knows exactly what it is i guess because there's so many different definitions people think about it uh, the way they want to think about it and there's no right or wrong necessarily right plus there's uh, different cultures how they practice yoga in their culture context right so it, it's kind of a combination of all those things
0: that's kind of like what we do though like as humans we like to complicate things because like even when you look at yoga going all the way back, it pretty much started with like, what, three or four poses. And then it just developed from that. And they did the poses before or after these lengthy, like 14 hour meditations. And it's funny because now it's completely flipped. Now the whole class is doing poses with a tiny little meditation.
1: That, that's right. And all it, oh, it's just so funny to me that, that that's how it is now. And it's not necessarily the wrong way, right? works for many people but it's interesting to see that change how it it progresses and how it it changes itself to and how people who practice it change
0: it right
1: Uh, so i think it's it's different yeah it's our our job is sort of to explore different options and then try to figure out what what can we learn about yoga as a you know the abstract sense what can we learn something new something that that we've i never thought about it
0: before, about it, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it feels like a, it's almost like its own entity. And it is adapting so that it doesn't, like, fade away. It's adapting to us and how we are changing. And yoga adapts with us so that it doesn't, you know, fade away. And it, it totally has changed. And I know we are the ones that change it. and But it's kind of like a, a global consciousness kind of thing on a whole where we're all... You know, we're changing and we're growing, and then it also changes and grows with us. But I like to look at it as it's it's its own kind of entity that's there to help us along. And so maybe it is the right the right way that it's it's changed this way. And who knows? Maybe in like a hundred years, it'll change back, and everybody will be meditating for fourteen hours and doing three or four asanas at the end or the beginning.
1: I think it's a good point that you're making. You're saying that it changed and it sort of, it has to change to stay, you know, stay with us. Otherwise, it might be lost, forgotten. So even though many people these days, right, they're oh, it used to be better, it used to be this way, now it's this way. But in a way, it changed. Well, first of all, change is the only constant, right? <laughs> and, and it has to change at least. To stay with us so we can keep evolving with it and we can keep evolving it.
0: Right. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that's like, it's never really going to go away. It's not something that's just going to crash and burn out and the, the fad, well, the fad might be over because I know it's like, it's on this huge upswing right now. And especially over the last few years, I've noticed that it's really, it's, it kind of like peaked and then it plateaus and then it peaks again and then it plateaus but it doesn't seem to like, it doesn't seem to crash down at any point. There's just more and more people uh, trying it out and enjoying the benefits from it.
1: Yes, and I think that it's for a reason. There's something there, right, that appeals to people and that ultimately helps them with different issues, perhaps, but there's something that's helpful. So that's why it's still here. It's still evolving.
0: I mean, I started because I I started feeling arthritis in in my body and arthritis runs in my family and so uh I don't know probably like 10 years ago before my grandfather had passed away I asked him I said hey what are the things in our family that I should look out for like health wise and he said like arthritis is probably the worst one and I was like all right so immediately I jumped online and I was like how to prevent arthritis chicka 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 and uh the the one thing that came up was that yoga it won't prevent your arthritis from happening but it'll stop it from getting any worse so that very first day and this is when i was living in los angeles actually that very first day that i felt those arthritis pains for the first time in my life i was like oh this is it time to start the yoga i had put it off for probably 10 years (laughs) and i kind of feel like man maybe i should have got into this earlier but here we are
1: it's okay but better late than never
0: yeah yeah exactly it's been like three years now i think two two and a half to three years that i've been doing it so yeah what's 2015 16 17 8 oh four years okay <laughs> it's been longer than than i thought so uh yeah getting back to uh flow states which is such an exciting topic because Being in that flow zone is just like the most amazing thing. And I mean, I'm definitely not a flow junkie. Like I'm not chasing that high all the time. I just, I know it it happens when it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I'm totally fine with that. But I mean, to be able to like look into ways to trigger the flow state without having to do a 90 minute yoga class to get into that zone is really what I'm interested in. Like, is there, is there like a, a pill I can take? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, not that I know of. That would be great in some situations. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, you know, when, when we see that something is beneficial to us, for example, flow states, and then we think, okay, well, how can I have more of that in my life? And ideally, what pill can I take so I don't have to do other things, right? So we just, we want that trigger that gets us into that state. But by doing that, we sometimes forget that other things go along with it that usually bring us into flow states naturally. And we don't necessarily want to escape all those things necessarily.
0: Right. So... I joined into the Flow Genome Project. Uh, I had learned about it through this guy on YouTube, Jason Silva. He makes these really cool videos called Shots of Awe. And he's the yeah. one who put me onto that. And then um, they had some kind of free five-day course that they did just to like get people introduced into the whole system that they're doing. And it was really cool because they help you like lay out how to start your day, which I've already kind of been doing, but maybe not on such a strict routine. And it's funny because once I started doing this, I noticed like my friends were like, man, you're being too strict. It's too many rules. It's too much order in your life. You gotta like, just be free and just go with it and do it when you feel like you have to. And being a self-employed person, my job is chaos. I am all over the place every day. It's it, no two days are the same. And so that is the chaos and that is the disorder. So I like my my mornings, my home time to be totally set and ready to go. And my evenings as well. Everything is like set in an order because the day is just so chaotic. So they were saying to like start with, um, so your sleep for instance, sleeping in a cold, uh, like a cold dark room with no light quiet, uh, no screens, no cell phone screens, no TV screens for at least an hour before you go to bed. Um, Drink a pint of water as soon as you wake up because apparently you sweat out a lot of water at night. Uh, Do your moves right away, so do some yoga or do this like 300 thing that they do. Do your MIT, which is your most important tasks, your three most important tasks. So I have a huge list that just goes on. It's probably a 10-year list. And it says to just pick the most three important for the day and just kind of like tackle those. Um, There's a daily gratitude involved. So I have a timer on my cell phone set for 3.14 every day. A timer goes off and it says do your gratitude. So I just stop whatever I'm doing and I open up a little notepad and I write down three things three to five things that I'm grateful for. And then later at night, it says to write down tomorrow's MIT's most important tasks. And just by doing that alone, uh, yeah, it really brought a lot more order into my mornings on top of the order I already had because I was getting up at 4 a.m. every day, doing an hour of meditation and then doing an hour of yoga. And now it's six o'clock in the morning and now it's time to you know get ready for the day. So uh, that has been really... Really helpful and really interesting. The way that you can like set up, set up your life for greatness, basically.
1: Uh, yes, and I love that Genome project. What what they're doing, uh, their mission, and how they distilling some knowledge and anecdotes, evidence, and how they give you this framework. Do this, do that, and or, you know, it, it, it's some of it is, is is going is coming from research and peer reviewed articles. Some of it maybe not as scientific, but still very helpful to people. And, and that's where I think it's very important to bring all information together and see what actually is helpful to most people. And and that's why maybe it sounds, oh yeah, common sense, drink water in the morning, exercise. You know, who didn't know that, right? But <laughs> it's a way of, again, like you said, structuring your life that, that can bring you a lot of positive emotions. And that can, as... Uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, Mihai, who originally wrote uh, Flow, the Psychology of Optimal Experience book, he said that happiness as a state comes from that, you know, ordering your consciousness. So being in control of what is in your consciousness. And by ordering it, for example, like you said, having a structure, certain things you do, you take care of your body, you're drinking water, you know, you're eating nutritious food, you're working out and in your mind as well you're doing some things like again gratitude right or, or writing down the most important tasks you're going to accomplish you, you're kind of starting those the processes in your mind planning so that you know that it's kind of there right like a computer you have a program running you wrote down your most important tasks for the day and when you wake up the program is still running in the background so it'll be easier for you to get started on those tasks and by doing all of these things Together as a system, they make flow states more likely to happen. They don't guarantee it. No. But I... all of those things that you mentioned, it, it looks like most of them are necessary for most people to enter flow states. Because if we're tired, if we overworked, we hungry, we stressed out, it makes it so much harder to get into flow state. Because we're constantly, right? we constantly thinking. What can we do better? How can we relax? How can we make more money, bills, cars, traffic, all of this keeping us in the present moment, but not in the way of flow state, but in a way of trying to troubleshoot. And, and, you know, so anxiety, right, kind of comes with it as well. And sometimes when it's too much anxiety, then you definitely can't can't really enter flow state and be in, in the moment, but without your this little inner critic, without yourself that it, that is scanning everything around you and trying to make plans and thinking and what am I going to have for dinner and what should I say to my boyfriend right all these things (laughs) and again so by ordering our consciousness and our life in general it makes it so much easier to achieve the positive experiences
0: right and um yeah like you said it's not about like all doing all of these these things that the the genome project has set out to do like you said that itself doesn't create the flow state that just sets you up to be more apt to have one and um, I just want to go back real quick what was the name of the author of the flow book that you mentioned
1: his name is very hard to pronounce because (laughs) it's long and it's Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi if you just google flow the psychology of optimal experience it should bring it up Has great ratings many people read it 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 triggered many people to keep exploring the flow states and um, uh, Mihali, he, he's a researcher right. I believe at the University of Chicago in the moment. And so this information comes from the peer-reviewed articles, which is great. I think you have as a base something that that's uh, been researched right using scientific methods, using many, many people, trying to find those the core principles, what makes people more likely to have flow experiences.
0: Right. So with yourself, I mean, I know you've already told me a few of the uh, your flow things that you've done. Uh, what, what are the things that you get your flow from? I mean, aside from yoga, of course. So
1: There's been so many things, honestly, and, and it's, it's great that there's still more to explore. And I'm the kind of person who it's very hard for me to have that structure and to stay on one task for a long time. But I love playing, so I I keep exploring different activities, so I engage in many, many things. For example, you know, it starts from things like ice skating and dancing and and other physical activities. But also it could be drawing and and maybe even organizing things can get me into flow state. And then, of course, extreme activities. I'm a licensed skydiver with more than 300 jumps.
0: Those things
1: definitely help.
0: (laughs) skydiving oh my god I've always wanted to go skydiving it's just never come up except for this one time and um, so I'm I'm in Victoria in British Columbia uh, Vancouver Island Um, but I'm from Halifax Nova Scotia the whole other end of the country and this one time I met a guy who flies a cargo plane over to Europe and he brings skydivers with him And you're allowed, and it's free, it's totally free. I mean, you need your gear and everything, but to get on the plane, he'll bring anybody and he'll fly you out and you have to jump. And if you don't jump, then you're paying for the plane ticket to Europe with him. And it was some kind of cargo plane thing that they were doing. And I was like, this is it, this is my chance. And then I just kind of chickened out because of the the cost of involved with, you know, flying over to to Europe and back again. I know, I'm like, if I chicken out, like, I'm going to have this huge, huge bill on my desk, and I, I don't want that. So just because of that, the, the cost of that kind of put me off. Um, but yeah, other than that, there hasn't been an, an opportunity. So you got to tell me like what it's like. It's got to be so exhilarating.
1: It is many things. And when most people think about it, when they hear that I jump out of airplanes for fun, and they start kind of imagining how scary it must be, how cool it must be, and all those things. And while it's true, it is scary and fun, there are also many other emotions that come up, especially if you start doing it regularly, not just once or twice as a tandem, but when you start practicing it, right? More training. So we usually say, oh, it's a sport. skydiving as a sport. And there's a lot of disciplines within it, competitions, and it can get... Very sport like, but also it can be art like. And this is what I like to do. I like to jump out of airplanes for fun and use my body as a wave, as a sail, as a wing. I like to move around in three dimensions. Yeah. And it's hard to explain what it feels like, but at first, when you don't really know how it works, if you don't have body awareness, if you don't know how air works, and, and how planes fly. At first, you're just tumbling around, and you know adrenaline pumping and everything, and looking around, and you're realizing that oh my god, this is our planet. I'm not on it right now. I am in space, and I'm rushing down towards my planet. But you can't quite feel it because when you in free fall, it doesn't really feel like you're falling. When you reach the terminal velocity, that is, you do feel a lot of, of pressure from the wind because you're falling so fast, right? And, and it's, it's sort of like when you're in a pool, you're swimming, you can feel the water around you. So similarly, you feel the air around you. We call it the relative wind. Right. And obviously it's noisy. You cannot talk to each other. And you wear a you know, suit and helmet and, and parachute and other equipment to help you survive. But it can really be, I found it's a spectrum. It can be from really, really scary to anxious to meh, I've done it before, nothing special, uneventful jump. That, that's how they often start the incident reports. That after uneventful jump, something happened. But it can also be a very peaceful experience. Mm. It can be very zen-like. It can be, you know, some samadhi. Shavasana, different, different words can be used to explain that. And that's not even it, right? It could be really exhilarating. It can be, oh my God, this is the best time of my life. The time can, can slow down or it can speed up. All these things happening. Hmm. And, and so, where you end up on that spectrum depends who you are, what experiences you've had so far, right? Kind of set and set in setting as well. So, how am I feeling today? What has been going on in my life? And also, right, perhaps the situation. Where are you doing it? Who are you doing it with? Do you have support? Do you feel like it's a safe job zone where you're jumping from? So really people can, can experience all kinds of things when they
0: skydive. Wow. So I have a couple questions. What's the general altitude that people jump from, like on average, just a regular basic altitude jump? And then how long does it take before you come down to the ground? Like how many seconds or minutes do you have before you have to pull your chute?
1: It doesn't take long because we usually exit at around 12,000 feet. So it's about four kilometers and right, you, you reach terminal velocity in a few seconds. And after that, you have about a minute in free fall, depending on what you do, because you, as you move around, it changes your terminal velocity, so you, you might have more time or less time, again, depending on what you're doing in your equipment. So you have a minute in free fall, and after that, you have up to five minutes under the canopy, piloting down and landing. So the whole thing does not take a long time. What actually takes long time is packing your parachute and getting in the plane and getting the ride to the altitude. So, so perhaps I could say that one jump takes an hour, right? You have to maybe pack your parachute, go wait, you sit down the plane, 20 minutes of the altitude. And again, sort of the skydiving most people uh, that, that they think about is only one minute out of the whole hour.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so geez, for me, it would be my adrenaline and heart would be pumping the most uh, on the ground before I even get on the plane. And then on the plane, as it went up, it would just be exceeded. And I feel like once I would be out of the plane, all that would go away. And I would just be in that bliss moment because I'm equating this to a, a roller coaster, which I hated roller coasters my whole life. And then I finally found a way to overcome them. By just kind of like letting go, but I would still, as as you're in that little roller coaster uh, cart and it's going click 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 up the track, and you're almost going up to this ninety degree drop, that right there is when my adrenaline would just go crazy and my heart would beat out of my chest. But then as soon as you went over that mound, that crest, and it dropped, whoosh, there's no feeling at all. It's like woo, this is the fun part. Like, yeah, this is why I'm here. And then click, click, click goes back up again. And you're like, oh, okay, what's next after that one? Cause I know they start you off small and it only gets crazier as the roller coaster goes. So I can only imagine flying to be somewhat like that only scaled up a great amount.
1: And I find that roller coasters can be too extreme almost and, and too much. I, I love some. But others when you get that kind of feeling in your stomach, right? Like you said, those big drops and then something else is coming. I don't actually enjoy those, although it's a funny thing, but skydiving has helped me to enjoy roller coasters more. Right. <laughs> and, and and it's it's you know, it's also different skydiving because it's not a solitary activity. You can do it with people. And while you are on a roller coaster with other people in a car perhaps but you're not doing anything with them. It's not relational. Now, when you're in the sky, there's so many things you can do when you're doing things together. You're building shapes. You're working on your skills. Perhaps you're flying in a wingsuit. And then it becomes much more than than just, oh, look at this ride. But it's also, okay, I have to be in contact with other people. And that's where the group flow can also appear.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I see your picture is actually coming up on my screen here. And I just had a question. Um, who is taking the picture? Did you bring a selfie stick and a camera with you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I did not. I'm not, not on that jump because when you bring a selfie stick or anything, it, it changes dynamics and it changes how you move. And it's not really fun with a selfie stick. So usually we have somebody else who jumps with us. And and that's why, again, the relational part comes in. So they have to stay close enough, which is really hard for some disciplines. But they're in free fall. We're falling towards the earth. And they have to be within 2 to 10 feet, let's say, from me. So they're there with a camera on their head and it's filming and or taking pictures and they stay around.
0: Yeah. Huh, amazing. So yeah, so then you're with. I mean, I've only seen it in in movies and on television when there's like five or six people and they're holding hands and then they spread out and they go away and they come back together and they rejoin. So you're doing that that kind of those kind of things.
1: Yep, that's called relational work. That's when you jump out with a group of people and you have a goal in mind, or not the. the when you do have a goal in mind, that that's sort of the, the sport that we talk about. And you, you know what you're supposed to do, what shape, what your position needs to be, who you need to grab. You can hold hands. Uh, there are also grips on your suit, so sometimes on your legs, sometimes on your shoulders. And you try to arrange those figures together, all while falling down, rushing towards a planet.
0: Wow. That, yeah, that's mind-blowing. I'm definitely... I'm definitely gonna do it before my time on Earth is done. And yeah, it, it has to happen. Um so uh I don't know. I don't really have any more questions about the the jumping. If you had anything else to add, um I'd like to talk about the uh the circus because um for the longest time the circus was something that people ran away to when they had no other options left in life kind of thing like oh well might as well run away and join the circus that right there is like a saying that i've heard my whole life might as well run away and join the circus just give up on life i'm gonna go join the circus and uh these days though like the circus isn't something that you you're giving up on life in fact it's it's just gotten so much more extreme so what is your what is your circus life all about? I guess circus, circus arts. My
1: involvement, circus arts, right? My yeah, involvement yeah. in circus arts started because I wanted to be better at skydiving. Ah, I know, I know, it's crazy, okay. but I, I actually was not very good. I was not natural in, you know, doing things in the sky. I did not have that body awareness, proprioception, knowing where your body parts are in space. Usually, it's not something we think about, although as people start getting into yoga more, sometimes they're like, oh, wait, my shoulder's not here. Oh, wait, I'm arching. Oh, right, forward, fold. My my, my back isn't this way and it should be the other way. So it's kind of, again, knowing where you are in space and also knowing where you should be in space and adjusting. Okay. And I came to circus because it, it, well, first of all, it looks very fun, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely looks fun. And also, again, it's perfect for achieving those flow states and it's perfect for working out in a fun way and it's perfect for again, learning about your body and letting your body learn about you and space wow. and I just started taking classes because I'm like hey I'm, I'm not you know I'm not strong in fact I was quite weak and it just it, it appealed to me because it again it's just like wow I I, I wonder if I can if only I could just try, let me try and you know these days there are classes everywhere right if you just google uh, discipline within the circus that you want to try from juggling to flying trapeze then you can just start doing it and take you know classes once a week or twice a week and kind of start experiencing flow states and fun this way.
0: Wow would you say that the circus arts itself is uh, strength building Or is the strength building done elsewhere and then the circus arts just kind of helps put it in line?
1: In general, circus is great for building strength because you're doing it in a way, in a natural way for circus. And you have a goal in mind, for example, if you want to, again, whatever appeals to you. But let's say you want to do some tricks on the trapeze. And as you start trying the tricks, you realize, oh, I don't have this, or I don't have that. And then, okay, how can I build this? And you build the strength by actually doing the exercises, the, the, the tricks that you're trying to learn, you just do them. And of course, it's better to supplement with floor work, right? It can be push ups, pull ups, and all of those things are great. But also, by engaging in activities in circus, we're training our whole body and mind. And this way, strength comes. And it's fun, so more likely to go and do it again, right? So more likely to actually achieve our goals and become stronger and also you know, be able to do those things that, that usually you just see people doing like, wow, okay, I you know what, I'm not coordinated. No, I cannot do that.
0: <laughs> cool. What are the things that you do in, in circus arts? Like what are the what are the different activities, I guess?
1: First I started with hula hooping.
0: <laughs> oh, which yes.
1: is is not necessarily circus arts but it's kind of i guess a gateway <laughs> and it is something that i still do it's still evolving surprisingly it's, it's now different materials different ways of doing it different tricks but also i you know when i was a kid and my dad would bring me to circus in moscow and and it's it's a Great. I mean, they've been there for a hundred years. They have a permanent building and its an amazing place. They have shows almost every day of the week, and and you see them do all those things and acrobats and and people flying on the trapeze and tight wire walkers and and you just wow. And you sit right and that kind of that feeling of awe that comes with it. Yeah. It really stayed in my memory. Yeah. And it's again that this feeling of awe in general, even now, is something that helps me and transcend stress the life the bills and everything right it's something that brings me closer to who i am perhaps who who we all are in a way part of us that again it kind of takes us away from the realities we usually experience and bring us somewhere you know in the present moment and then from so from you know of course thinking like oh wow i remember those people flying there you know I don't know what it felt like hundreds of feet away back then, but now I know it's lower to the ground, but still. So I, I decided, you know what? I'm going to go and try flying trapeze. Why not? You know, again, life is short. And hey, if I can have fun and maybe it can help me train to be a better skydiver and it, it can allow me to move after sitting all day at work, why not? So I started doing that. And then I realized, well, you know what? I'm actually a not great at work flyer i need i need to learn more and then i started doing trampoline i started training myself on an olympic sized trampoline not those small ones but the one that has you know that's bigger and has uh the bounce that can give you more energy to perform tricks or just have fun
0: right um geez i remember when <laughs> i remember when i was a kid going on trampolines like it was always a lot of fun and uh doing flips in the air being up so high bouncing and then you fall and get your leg caught in one of those springs on the side. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, yeah um, so it seems like uh, you have your... So for example, like yoga is like the only, let's call it a sport. It's the only sport that I do aside from uh, downhill skiing. So like, which doesn't happen all year long. So yoga is really the only thing that I do that's really like that active and you have so many different things that you do do you think that by having a variety of these things that it's helping you get in and out of flow states more often
1: absolutely and especially because sometimes it's hard to get to a place where you can take that flying trapeze class but it perhaps it may be easier these days to find silks aerial sucks where you can see, right, people sometimes attach them to the trees in the park or in in some venues, right, if you have a load bearing, uh, a a hooked place to attach your hooks to. So you can start doing that. And even these days, uh, here in gyms, you can take aerial hammock classes, which are great, again, kind of, you know, gets you moving, you can invert, you can have fun. And again, it's a workout. And so by, by, by trying out different things at least, at least, you know, it helps me to, to, to move my body, which is a problem for all of us these days, right? We sit a lot and we don't move enough. And part of the problem, because I think that that's just, it's boring going to the gym, you know, we have all those negative thinking and emotions associated with it. And for me personally, it's very hard to get myself to the gym unless something fun's going on. So for me doing something, like circus art is fun so i'm more likely to do it in the future and circus arts can provide perfect place opportunity to enter the flow states experience them while getting a workout why not right (laughs) but i'm curious i'm curious You, you said that you know you you tried trampoline a little bit and it was fun but what prevents you from doing it now
0: uh as i got older i seemed to get hurt easier. (laughs) Um, And I remember, I remember even being a like... um, So there was me and my brother and three cousins and we all lived together. And all my brother and cousins, they're all way... They're three to five years younger than me. And I just remember playing in the backyard and we had... We found like an old... uh, What looks like a a chair when you go to a psychiatrist. One of those kind of chairs like Mm -hmm. that. And we were doing flips off of the roof and landing on this chair and we were all doing it and uh i did a flip off and i landed on this chair and then oh and i hurt my back and i was like oh and that was the, that was the moment that i noticed that i was like okay so i'm i'm older than everybody by like three to five years and I'm getting hurt now and i was like i kind of don't want to do flips off off the roof anymore and i kind of don't and it just seemed like uh my younger cousins and, and siblings were always able to just keep doing crazy stuff and they weren't getting hurt they were still that young age where they were bouncing back and i mean even though i was only like 10 or 12 years old i was getting hurt and i kind of like started to stray away from doing Physical things like that, because every time I did it, I would get hurt. And I was like, ah, I kind of don't want to get hurt anymore. So that's basically what steered me away from, uh, you know, doing things like that. I like to do safe things on the ground, I guess. But the skydiving is definitely. Still on the list.
1: Yeah. and I, I think you should definitely try it, especially you know because you wanted to try it and you had the opportunity. And it, it's actually one of the safer sports. Not many people realize it statistically. You're more likely to get hurt while driving through the drop zone than while actually doing a tandem jump. <laughs> I know. Statistics. <laughs> so
0: a tandem is when you're strapped with somebody else. Is that right?
1: Exactly. That's how most people uh, do their first jumps these days. So. You don't have to really learn much. They give you a brief briefing and they strap you and and together right in the plane. And then you don't have to think about your canopy or anything you can ask and kind of play around with it while, and while you know, you're under the canopy. But other than that, even landing, most of the impact the instructor takes on his or her feet.
0: Uh, when you land, I guess that's another question about the skydiving, when you land, like. I've seen parachuters uh, parachuting down, and from the ground, when I look up at them, they look like they're just kind of floating really slowly, and they're just kind of cruising around. But then when you see them start to land, like they're coming down fast, and you got to kind of like be ready, and your feet hit the ground, and you got to kind of run a little bit. So, how, how turbulent, how crazy of a landing is it usually?
1: That's a good question, and usually the landing is is, is really easy and not much of impact at all. Uh, when I did uh, a jump with a military round parachute back in Russia, because you cannot do it anywhere in America, I think, unless you already have some some you know connections. But what we did, we practiced jumping from a table that was about a meter, so about three feet tall, mm-hmm. right? So that's the impact that they say about. So it's not that bad however it depends really it depends depends what the wind is doing right Right. are we putting ourselves in unsafe conditions when it's really windy and when direction of wind is not desirable for example right or like what kind of canopy do we have do we have enough square footage to slow us down enough and are we using it the right way because you actually you're changing the shape of your canopy and it helps you slow you down and you need to do it in a precise moment Okay. And this, if you do that, which, which usually if you, when you go and watch people do that, that, that's what they do. And that's why they slow themselves down from, it could be very, very fast from speed. So let's say, just just for the sake of giving you a number, from 30 miles per hour, they can slow themselves to zero miles per hour. Wow. And then they should just step on the ground. Right? So sometimes you have to run it off a little bit. Sometimes you do have maybe five miles per hour right? So it depends on the wind. So, but even five thousand miles per hour is not that bad. So really you just kind of step on the ground and you continue running as your speed decreases. So it's really, it's really possible for many people to do that.
0: Oh, wow. See, I didn't know that you did that. I didn't know that you changed the shape of the canopy to adjust. I thought it was just out and that was it. And you just kind of float down. Um, so yeah, that's super interesting to learn that. Um, you had mentioned in your text to me about uh, hitchhiking, so I'm wondering if that was uh, was meant to be in with the flow state stuff. Because I'm so I'm 39 years old, I'm definitely from the era of hitchhikers. Back in the day, when it was totally a safe thing to do, and everybody did it, and it was a really good way to get around and uh, and meet new people and explore and I was in a band before, so I would always travel with CDs and I would just give my drive uh, one of my albums like as a payment and they always appreciated it. And even though it was a uh, hip hop and rap music, I remember like some like more hillbilly kind of people who were like, I don't like that stuff. I like country music. And I was like, look, man, just hang on to it. Maybe you'll have a a nephew or, or a neighbor or someone who wants it and just give it to somebody else. So they, they really appreciated like having something like that. But yeah, coming from that era of hitchhiking when it was an okay thing to do. And nowadays it's so highly frowned upon. In fact, it's even illegal in some spots in Canada. So you're not allowed to hitchhike on any highways. You're kind of allowed to hitchhike on side roads, um, like side country roads. And I had a friend traveling from the East Coast all the way out here to the West Coast And when he got to the border between Quebec and Ontario, they were on the highway and someone had phoned it in and and told the police that there's hitchhikers, there's dirty old hitchhikers on the road. So the police came and they're like, what are you guys doing? And my buddy and his friend were like, what, we're hitchhiking. And he goes, it's illegal on the highway. He goes, you have to go off the side road on the side. And he goes, just get in the car. So he puts... My buddy's in the car with all their bags and he drives them about a half hour to the border of Quebec and kicks them out and goes, there, you're Ontario's problem now. Ontario being the next uh, oh, province. Wow. So they got this lift anyways. And then they just continued uh, hitching the rest of the way <laughs> out, out west. And uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of our, that's kind of what happens with us here trying to hitch around.
1: Yeah, it really depends where you do that and what people in that area think about it. But anywhere you do, you'd be surprised that there are good people out there. They're all there. And it's amazing that, you know, usually we think, oh, the world is full of bad people and all they want is your money and they want to rape you and they want this, right? The so kind of this, this thinking that that's perpetuated by media, of course. Mm. But there's also, again, so many people that... Perhaps doing the jobs. Perhaps they're going somewhere else, and they would like somebody to sit in the car, and even just as a simple thing, just just to, to help them stay awake. They would like to talk to somebody right. for the safety reasons, right? Or for entertainment reasons, because especially those people right who drive for work a lot, those, those big giant freight trucks, they love companionship. They love when you can talk to people because it can get boring in this way. It's like traveling for them because different people bring different experiences with them and they have a chance to interact. Right. And it's a win-win experience. Yeah.
0: So they're kind of like having their own little mini podcasts as they pick up different guests. And they could have little conversations and then their guest leaves and then they can pick up another guest along the way. Um, Just as like a funny, a funny way of looking at it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I totally, uh, this is my way of life is that I totally, I give my trust. I give my trust for free and I give it all openly right away. And then it's up to people to ruin it. It's up to people to mess that up. So, I mean, a lot of people, the way of thinking uh, especially coming from like the East Coast of Canada, a lot of people are like, don't trust anyone. Um, you got to earn my trust. It's something you have to work hard for. And I don't know, I've always, uh, how um, I got to say like, how is that really working out for you? Because if you are an untrusting person, if you don't trust anyone, in general, people don't trust you. You become untrustworthy yourself because you're always like, I don't trust them oh I don't like that I don't know and people see that and they kind of react accordingly as if you're also an untrustworthy person so I just decided one day like give all my trust open to everyone and so far it's it's worked out pretty good I gotta say
1: I love this experiment
0: that you're doing
1: yeah that's exactly <laughs> it I think of course you have to be prudent right you you know if you feel. Unsafe. then take precautions but if you're one of those people who oh no 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 don't give trust to anybody well it prevents you from having the positive experiences they do come when you trust somebody a little right when you try something and you find that oh my gosh there's so many people out there who are willing to help me for free and you know it's been so many times that we were hitchhiking and we needed to get kind of from a to b perhaps a thousand mile journey but, you know, we, we just go as long as we can with the driver. And they, they're saying, you know, oh, um, you no, know, you're probably tired. You're hungry. You know, I, I live here. Um, we have a room, you know, house. There's a grandma, and grandpa. We'll have a family dinner. You can stay there. You, you can go to a lake and swim. We'll show you around. And you just see that and you're like, whoa, like what? You, you don't have to do this. Why are you doing this? Right. And they kind of... The, more experiences you have like that you're realizing again that the pe- people are generally good right this kind of the basic psychological view that people are good and
0: yeah of course there's the bad
1: apples here and there right but but it's it's really amazing to feel that because those people have to trust you too to pick you when they're picking you up right they have to trust because they you know if they are afraid they're not going to pick you up so, right. so it's both ways
0: yeah I mean, I always try and pick up as many hitchhikers as I can because I also want to get picked up. Oh, can I get you to hold for just a quick second? Absolutely. All right, thank you. Um, Yeah, so, geez, I've always tried to pick up as many hitchhikers as possible. But like you said, so you have to be trusting on that side. And then there's like, um, there's like a visual kind of thing going on too. So like when I see like, you know, hippie looking people with dreadlocks and maybe they've been through some festivals or something. I'm like, yeah, totally throw all your stuff in my trunk. Let's go. But then I see someone who looks like he just got out of prison. I'm, I'm not picking that guy up. That's just how it is. I mean, you got to have those like that, like common sense behind it all too.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you have to. And we're, I grew up in Russia. Uh, There's a huge community of hitchhikers. They still do it. All, all over the world, they, they hitchhike on you know, cars, buses, but also cruise ships and, and other anything that moves really, you know, maybe not spaceships, not yet. Maybe hopefully, you know, when we get that program going as well. But there are certain things you do as a hitchhiker to help yourself to send the correct message. Right. For example, you dress appropriately so you have a suit or, you know, pants and top that's very visible. That, that people would not mistake you for somebody who just got out of prison. And you have a, a backpack that you usually, right? You bring a lot of your gear, maybe camping, maybe just gifts, like you said, right? You can bring something and give it to somebody. And, and so this way you have um, perhaps even a sign or hand gestures. It depends on where you're going, sort of local culture. But this way you're sending a message, I'm a traveler, I am hitchhiking, sometimes even for the sake of hitchhiking. Sometimes, right? I'm just getting from place to place, but I'm not just a random person doing it randomly. But there's an intention behind it, mm-hmm. and you know, I I dress up the part and I behave the part. Right. And this way, people are more likely to pick you up. And also, when uh, when uh, we did it, for example, you know, I would not always do it alone. No, we would go in pairs.
0: Oh, of course, right,
1: yeah. male and female, and then this way. Again, kind of sending that correct message and also protecting ourselves. But it's really just it—it helps both parties to understand who who these people are and what why they're doing it.
0: Right? Yeah, that's totally cool, and that's totally how like I've always done it. I mean, I've done it alone, being like you know, like I'm like a tall guy, and and I'm a guy, so like I wasn't really afraid. And uh, I've also done it with uh, lady friends of mine as well and I don't know it's I can't say that one way is better than the other like if you get picked up more when you're alone or more when you're with someone uh, I think it's just like an an odds thing it just depends on who happens to be driving by who is open to bringing in guests into their car kind of like that
1: yeah and it's really okay whichever way you do it it's okay and again it's just surprising things happen. And of course, right, when, when you see somebody slowing down to pick you up, you have that chance to interact with the person. You don't have to get in if you don't like them. You have that chance to say, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps you could just ask them a question. You know, you don't have to say, I'm actually going somewhere. So it, it's really, there's a lot of control that you have. And this way, you sort of knowing who, who you're going with, as opposed to, if you take a train, you don't know who the people are in the train. You don't, you know. There's a lot of people, and like I used to be afraid of bombings and you know things that happen. <laughs> and being in a train, you're always looking around, scanning around. You don't know. At least when you hitchhiking and you pick up picked up by somebody, you can gauge, you know, are, are there somebody who's just driving for work, right, or the kind of sketchy, and rather not go there.
0: Yeah. But it, it's yeah.
1: sort of strange, but but you do have a choice,
0: right. Um... Yeah, geez, I've only ridden the train a couple times here because our train in Canada isn't really the greatest and it's quite expensive, actually. It's, it's getting up there with like a plane ticket and our, our plane tickets, I think, are the highest priced in the country uh, in like North America. And um, yeah, riding the train was so cool and the first time i rode the train it was like and i didn't know there was a season for trains and i rode in the off season so i ended up having like this booth to myself like four seats like the the seats that face each other you know what i mean like a, mm-hmm. like in a bus yeah, two yeah. the two seats would face each other but there was like four of them and it made this like booth and i had i had all my bags in there and i had my laptop and i was watching movies and and cartoons and things on my laptop And uh, it was awesome, it was great. And uh, the second time I took the train, I thought it would be the same thing. And I showed up at the station and there was a line out the door and they were announcing that all the tickets had been sold out, so they turned like, 20 to 30 of us away and they told us to come back in another week or two and i was like well there's a week out of my vacation that i just lost and uh, then even so after that week went by i ended up in a little a little one seat just by myself by the window with trying to have all my bags with me all piled up under and on top of me so i ended up sitting for what turned out to be a 72 hour train ride which was only a 12 hour car ride because the train stops so much and it slows down through every little town. And then, uh, yeah, it was great being cramped up in this little seat and I was like, okay, the train used to be awesome and now it's officially not awesome because you never know what you're gonna get. But <laughs> this second time, there was a guy and a girl who were like really sketchy looking and they had to have been like high on something. They are just bugging out and they wouldn't sit in their seat. And every once in a while, Uh, someone would come by and check your ticket and check your seat number and make sure because they're doing like a head count to make sure everybody's still safe, everybody's still here. And this guy and this girl wouldn't sit still. They kept getting up and taking their bags and leaving and walking to another seat and moving around. And then the, the staff told them like, look, you have to sit in your assigned seat and you have to stay there the whole time. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sorry, buddy. And then they would sit down for like five minutes and then they would get up and leave again and and move all their stuff. And so when we got to the next stop, there were like 12 police officers right there at at the station and they came in and and took these two people off the train. So like they don't mess around. Like it's serious. You got to listen to what they tell you to do or else you're out. And then like we weren't even we weren't even anywhere in in. In the country where like there was anything it was just kind of like you know a really small town somewhere where the train happened to stop and that's where they were taking these people away so they weren't even in like a a big town or a city or anything where they could you know maybe go get a hotel for the night or whatever they needed to do.
1: Wow quite an adventure for those people maybe maybe they even hitchhiked home
0: (laughs) where they were going. (laughs) Maybe they should have hitchhiked all the way. oh my um jeez, what um i think that was it eh? uh jewelry jewelry what's that like are you getting in a flow state making jewelry is that really a thing i know i know <laughs> i i make art and i get in the art zone but because i draw i'm usually like hunched over a desk and my back starts to get sore and my eyes get strained so it's not always like the most fun thing to do and it's not technically relaxing by any means so but yeah you do kind of get in that zone that flowy zone for sure but it just doesn't last long um yeah so tell me about making jewelry do you have like an etsy and all that kind of stuff
1: no i don't have an etsy but it's just something that uh i love doing and i I use the you know those glass beads and you can make bracelets or necklaces or earrings or just different shapes with them, and yes, as I get older, I also feel, you know, oh, this posture is not good, or I cannot stay in this day for too long, but that's, again, where that structure that, that comes with, right, with uh, drinking water, exercising, writing your most important tasks so that you offload all the things that are not necessary in this moment, right. and then, you know, your body's ready, and you can you aware of your body position, so you can, for example, hinge at your hips as opposed to be using your neck a lot in the wrong way. And this way you can prolong that that state of kind of being in the zone and enjoying the process. Of course, it depends what you're doing, right? And if you right. are you on a deadline, right? There's more pressure. So perhaps yeah. it helps some people, not others. But I just, I, I started doing it when I was, oh, I don't even know, um, maybe elementary school or something like that yeah and that's a funny story actually why i started doing it because it was a summer camp and it was during the day so i would just uh, go there uh, for the day and then come back home at night and there were you know kids doing things and um uh, i at that time i had really bad nails you know, i used to chew on the nails and then somebody noticed that and they made a comment and i became so self-conscious about it i'm like oh my god my nails that's horrible and so what I did is that I got a nail polish, right? So that I would yeah. not chew them and I started making jewelry. So this way people would, would look at me, they would see, they would come and perhaps we would interact or I would teach them to do that. So it was opportunity to just play with somebody this way. And also I had pretty nails to show off um, and I stopped biting them obviously. And, and then I'm like, wow, this is great. This is fun, jewelry making. I, I make something, I enjoy the process. I can be creative, I can add details to something, right? Maybe even if I get uh, a plan on how to do that or from the internet, but I can still add on things and it can be social activity as well. So that's how I started. And then I realized, oh, and I can, wow, now I have all these things that I make, they can be gifts now. I did not connect at the time, but now that you mentioned it, I should have totally brought my jewelry and just gave it to people while hitchhiking. It's something like that's Just seems yeah. so clear right now. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> maybe next time. Maybe next your next hitch, you can give them a little piece of handmade art. We had a we had a store in my city called Beads Plus, and you would go in, and it was all jewelry making stuff. And we would pick. They had like little boxes uh, and little containers of all. Millions of different beads and attachments and clips and things you could buy and we would go in and as kids And we would buy a bunch of this stuff and make little bracelets and things like that But unfortunately the company didn't last that long it lasted maybe like a year or two and then it shut down and then after it was gone That was it. There was no more beads Places to buy that kind of stuff. It just kind of faded away. So I don't know. I think maybe um, Had it stayed around longer that might have been something that I would've got into as one of my like artistic endeavors, like a little little side one. But uh, it is what it is, things happen, and we go with it.
1: Yeah, and it, of course it helps when you do have opportunity, right, you go, you can, you can go to the store, you can look at the things, you buy something, it makes it easier for you to engage in activity. And at right. some point, you need to start making plans, right? And a lot of the things that flow, genome project people saying is that you have to have an intention and create a plan, yeah. what they call hedonic engineering, right? right? And you can plan out activities that, that you know that you enjoy and that you know can help you get into the zone and relax this way.
0: Right. And,
1: you know, it, it's all about intention, which comes back to yoga, right? A lot in yoga, it's again a lot about intention. If yeah. we wanna feel our, feel our belly breathing, we need to put our intent in it, we need to switch from shallow chest breathing to deep full belly breathing
0: yeah yeah cool well hey you know what it's been um it's been a full hour now so i think we're just going to uh call it a day for now and i would love to have you back on the show again sometime and we could talk some more about this stuff and yeah thank you thank you so much for being here and doing this it's been great and, I don't and know.
1: thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, it's been fun. And I think, you know, by talking about things that we enjoy doing, we can kind of put things together sometimes and see, oh, okay, it helps somebody to do this activity to accomplish that. Right. And why don't I try? You know, again, it makes us more likely to try new things. And I think this is great. Again, the more we do uh, positive things, things that bring us joy, the more likely we'll do other positive. Things. And hey, you know, this way we'll, we, we can have amazing experiences and you know, other people around us will also have amazing experiences with us. So we
0: win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's cool to like have these conversations because it puts it into the global consciousness. It puts it out there. People are hearing it. Um, you know, it makes all of this kind of stuff all gather together at a certain nexus point where... Like you said, it might inspire someone else to go jump out of a plane. Awesome,
1: yes, Ew. keep it up, keep doing this.
0: Okay. Cool, so thank you Ekaterina Alexenko. Did I say that one right? You did. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. All right, well thank you again, and goodbye everyone.
1: Thank you, Jason, bye.
0: Bye. All I gotta say about this podcast is this, hashtag level up skydiving. Wow, more than 300 jumps. I'm super impressed and I'm like speechless and I don't even know what to say about this right now other than uh, this is another one of the all-time favorites for sure. This is one that I hope everyone gets to listen to and really enjoy and get something out of it. There's surely wisdom to be gained. Alrighty then, that's a wrap. Another episode for the books. Until we meet again, peace, love, and light. Namaste, and all that does a good noise. Peace.